So, Father, I pray that you would preach us, that you would save us, sanctify us, and create us with your word. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Romans eleven thirty two through 12, 1, after a year, um, 11 chapters of philosophy and theology, Paul writes, Amen. And then, therefore, and now for four chapters, he's going to tell us what to do, okay? So Romans 11.32, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, Brothers, by the mercies, the compassions of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual, your logikos, your logical worship, latreus. Latreia means that thing that the priests do in the temple, worship service. More literally, Young's literal translation, I call upon you, therefore, brethren, through the compassions of God, to present your bodies a sacrifice, living, sanctified, acceptable to God, your intelligent service, your worship service. The logical implication of all that Paul has told us in the first 11 chapters of Romans is that we present our bodies a sacrifice. <laughs> We think, um, that doesn't sound right. Surely that's a metaphor, right? But for the Romans, it wasn't a metaphor. You know, in almost every ancient society, if you ate meat, meat it was in the form of a sacrifice. In other words, there was something, there's something in us that realizes I just took a life a life that is not my own. And so someone must have given that life, and so I should give thanks for that life. In America, we just eat cheeseburgers and don't think about it, but that's not the way it's always been. And so for the Romans, it wasn't just a metaphor. In Israel, you would bring a living lamb to the temple. The priest would slit its throat, throw the blood on the altar, and then give you the meat. <laughs> so that's so much more than just a metaphor, an abstract concept. That's dinner. You, you eat it. So maybe they thought, even in Rome, maybe that, well, Paul surely didn't mean that, present our bodies a living sacrifice. We think surely he didn't mean that. I, I remember being taught that Jesus died to end the sacrificial system. In fact, philosophers like René Girard have said that, that Jesus died uh, so that no one else would sacrifice. Jesus did say, destroy this temple, and the temple is the place where people made sacrifices. 
destroy this temple. But then he said, and I will rebuild the temple. And the temple is a place where people make sacrifices. To the Pharisees, Jesus quoted Hosea. He's, he said, um, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, chesed in Hebrew, relentless love, and not sacrifice. And so I have friends who will argue, well, that means God never wanted sacrifice <laughs> in the first place. And so the Jews just like basically kind of made up the Old Testament, but that's kind of hard to swallow. I think God has always been saying, I, I don't need sheep and goats, but I want love, and that's a sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and then Jesus presented himself in Jerusalem for a sacrifice. Seems to me that was a sacrifice that God wanted from like the foundation of the world. Ephesians 5, 2, Paul writes this, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice for God. Do you remember how he was sacrificed? Kind of giving you a clue right now. <laughs> yeah, he was crucified. Judas even acted as the priest. Did you know that? When the temple declared him innocent through the blood money at the altar, he was crucified, and yet no one can crucify themselves. That's why I'm carrying the hammer and, and the nails. <laughs> Can't do this myself. Suicide won't work. Somebody has to do it for you. He presented his body a sacrifice. He walked into Jerusalem on purpose. That's what got the crowd so angry and what got his disciples so angry. He presented himself a sacrifice, but he freely delivered his spirit up to the Father. He didn't sacrifice to us. So important. Never sacrifice to people. Never sacrifice to people, but he did, he did. Jesus did sacrifice to his Father and for us. And so some people, particularly wealthy American people, they, they seem to say at this point, see, he sacrificed so I don't have to be sacrificed. He died so that I don't have to die. He, he was punished so I don't have to be punished. He was a penal substitute. He picked up his cross. So I don't have to pick up my cross. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would seek to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, his psyche, for my sake, he'll save it. You know, for folks in Jesus' day, picking up a cross was not an abstract concept. It wasn't a piece of jewelry. It was like this beam, or maybe the whole thing that they slapped on your back, a beam like this that's on my back uh, right now. But in Jesus' day, I wouldn't be dressed like this. I would have been stripped and flogged and utterly humiliated. 
Crucifixion is designed to utterly obliterate a man's psyche. So if you saw a man bearing a cross, you knew that his past had been judged. And he had no future. All he had was the present moment. You knew that he had been utterly rejected by the principalities and powers of this world. You, you knew that he had absolutely no rights, absolutely no legal recourse. And Jesus said to all, pick one of these up. If you would learn from me. Now folks will object and say, well, yeah, but Peter, Jesus said take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your psyches, your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if life isn't easy, they say, then I must not be carrying Jesus' yoke. And so I obviously need a vacation, a massage, and a manicure. But not a cross. Not a cross. And yet, this does look an awful lot like a yoke, doesn't it? And Jesus said that we needed to take it up daily and so don't you suppose that he took it up daily that means he was bearing it on good friday but he was also bearing it that day that he turned the water into wine at the marriage feast and whenever he ate with tax collectors and sinners and when he walked on the sea and when he bent down in the dust and he said to the woman at his feet, neither do I condemn you. Where are your accusers? He not only bore it on Good Friday. Do you suppose he bore it on Easter Sunday? Do you suppose that they present their bodies as sacrifice in heaven? Well, it, it's pretty clear that they, they never really talk about Jesus bearing a big old chunk of, of wood on his back, except on, on uh, Good Friday, so I'm going to take this off uh, right now, okay? However, he did, um, he did seem to bear the cross, I think. He bore the cross every, every day. Present your bodies uh, sacrifice, living, holy, pleasing uh, to God. I think I'm just saying that I think Paul actually meant that. And if you've read the story of his life, you'll go, yeah, I think he, he did. I think he, he actually meant that. And, 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 and that, you see, is, at this point, that's kind of surprising. If, in fact... Romans mean what most folks say uh, it means, for this is the exact opposite of, Paul, of what Paul would say if Paul meant what people say he, he means. So if you grew up in American evangelicalism, or if you, you know, read one of those Romans Road brochures, that means that you probably learned something like this. Number one, God is just, and that means that he has to punish sin. Number two, Jesus was punished in your place, so you don't have to be punished. Number three, 
you don't have to be punished if, 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 if you accept the offer, but if you refuse the offer, then you will be punished forever and without end, for you must pay, and yet you can't pay. That's why it's forever, 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 and with that, it's eternal non-satisfaction. See, if Jesus was punished so that you would not be punished, if Jesus died so that you would never have to die, if Jesus sacrificed so that you would never have to sacrifice, then the very last thing that Paul would say at this point of the letter is, therefore, present yourself a sacrifice. Living, holy, pleasing to God, which is your logic, this is only logical. <laughs> if you follow me to this point, this is your logical service of worship. If Jesus died so I don't have to die, like even our first song, you could take it that way. If Jesus died so I don't have to die, if Jesus was disciplined so I wouldn't be disciplined, if Jesus was sacrificed so I wouldn't be sacrificed, wouldn't Paul say, therefore, congratulations, Peter! You win, you made the right choice. You're a winner and not a loser. You're first and you're not last, so of course you deserve a vacation, a massage, and a manicure. Of course you deserve more things than 99% of the people in this world. Of course you should demand your rights and get offended when people don't respect you, speak well of you, and call you Reverend Hyatt. And you know, most of the time I think that's probably what I wanted Paul to say at this point. Because presenting myself as sacrifice just doesn't seem all that fun. So what I want Paul to say, and I think it's what we want Paul to say, and amazingly, that's exactly what the modern church in America has said. We've actually said, or at least strongly implied, if you find yourself to be rejected, if you find yourself to be stripped of all that you possess, powerless, racked by pain, well then I guess you don't have enough faith. And you're not following Jesus. We've actually taught people to be crusaders. And in other words, those who crucify rather than those who are crucified. Jesus and Paul certainly testify that there will be signs and wonders, and I, believe me, have seen some. But that's not what I, Peter Hyatt, can simply choose to do, and yet Jesus and Paul told me what to do. Pick up my cross. Present my body. This body of sin and death, the physical body, and like we've earned, the psychikos body. A sacrifice. Why? Well, it's only logical. Peter, it's your logical service of, of worship. But it doesn't seem logical to me. Why is that? Chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the compassions of God, as if Paul and God are feeling sorry for us, right? I appeal to you to present your bodies, plural, a sacrifice, singular, as if these many bodies are actually one sacrifice or one body, 
Living holy, pleasing to God, which is your logical worship service. Next verse. And, that is, or indeed, it's there in the Greek. Do not be conformed to this age. I own. Not, not just world, but, but I own. But be transformed, metamorphosed, transfigured by the renewal of your, your mind, your noose. That's, that's repentance, getting a new noose, a new mind. That by testing you may discern. Dakimazo, to, to prove, to discern through testing, through walking this through. What is the will of God? What is good and pleasing and perfect to, to lay us, completed, finished, the end. Do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by filling your head with the age to come. And that's why I keep showing you this picture. Scripture views space-time as something like this. There are ages of chronological time, like the six days or ions of creation, but there is an ion to come, which is the endless seventh day, sometimes described as the eighth day. It's the Sabbath of God. Our bodies exist in the sixth day on the timeline, even though according to Solomon, eternity is in our hearts. In the New Testament, eternal translates the Greek adjective ionios, which means something like of the age, and usually of the age to come, that is God's age, the age of I am who always is. On the timeline, we experience cause, and effect. That is, we do something in one moment and we see an effect in another moment. In other words, we're subject to entropy, chaos, death, and decay. But off the timeline, or if the timeline gets filled with what's off the timeline, we're no longer slaves to time. Everything is always new. Life is ionios, and what I'm about to show you has always happened. This is what we talked about last time, remember? Jesus has been implanted in us like a seed, like the piece of the iron giant in the box by Hogarth's bed. When the word preached enlivens the word dormant in our souls, the word rises as faith and hope and love, and in this way we are all drawn to the head, which is Christ. Ephesians 1.10, the plan for the fullness of time to unite, anakephalia, recapitulate, to bring together under one head all things in Christ, things in heaven and things uh, on earth. So where's the head? Greenland? Have you ever noticed how so many ancient depictions of the crucifixion picture, can you see it up there? A skull at the base of the cross. This is artwork from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. That's the church that Constantine commissioned in 327 AD to be built on the site of the garden 
where Jesus was crucified and then entombed. Directly under the location of the cross is the chapel of Adam. For according to tradition, Jesus was crucified on a tree directly over Adam's skull. That's why it's called Golgotha. That means skull in Aramaic. According to ancient Jewish and Christian legends, Golgotha is the place of the skull. And not just anyone's skull, according to legend, Melchizedek buried Adam's skull in a tomb in Golgotha, or translated into Greek and then English, Calvary. Whether or not any of that is what we would call historically accurate, you see, it is a historically accurate depiction of how Paul and the early church viewed the work of the atonement. We read this, 5.18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. Righteousness for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. As in Adam all die, 1 Corinthians 15, so in Christ will all be made alive, the eschatos Adam. In his genealogy, this is so fascinating, Luke even calls Adam, you check this out, chapter 3, the son of God. Or is it chapter 4? I can't remember. I think it's 3. Calls him the son of God. Just two chapters after the angel reveals that Jesus will be called the son of God. <laughs> you understand? If we take the Bible seriously, just at its word, an amazing picture develops in Scripture. It's as if Adam, which means humanity, was literally blown to pieces, at least like 10 billion pieces, blown to pieces and died when we took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. And yet in the end, Adam will be drawn back together as a body that is a bride, that is a temple, that is a city, when all the pieces of Adam come back to the tree of life in the heart of the new Jerusalem, the body of the Superman, the Askatos Adam. And this decision of God, this judgment of God to consign all Adam to disobedience in order to have mercy on all Adam was revealed in space and time in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Askatos Adam, and the head of the body. That decision is called mercy, relentless love, grace, it's the decision to bleed. You see, that's what every member of a body constantly does, right? Every member constantly loses its life and finds its life for the life is in the blood, a, a river of blood that flows throughout the whole body. Original sin is taking the life of God in order to justify yourself. And you can know if you have committed original sin, original sin, by asking yourself this question, self, do I ever think of life, you know, this life as my life? Scripture is clear that Jesus is the life, and to think that you have a life that's like all your own is to confess that you took the life of God and imprisoned him in a tomb that is your own ego. It is to imprison Jesus in Mises. We took his life, but when we see that he forgave his life, we come back to the tree 
and we surrender the life. And what happens? The Father gives us more life. And we rise from the dead, one body. Eternal life is a communion of constant sacrifice. See, I don't think the sacrificial system, and and you can check all of this out, I don't think the sacrificial system was ever about paying for sin. And yet it was all about returning blood to to the temple. Just like every member of your body constantly returns blood to your heart literally loses its life in order that it, it might find it. The life is in the blood, the spirit is life, the breath is life. With every breath, with every breath, you lose your life and find it. Life is <sighs> respiration, respiritization. That decision to sacrifice is called faith. And even faith, especially faith, is a gift of grace. It's the judgment of God within you. So you cannot pay for sin, except with the acknowledgement that you cannot pay for sin. God always pays. You you can't pay for the knowledge of evil, except with the knowledge of the good, and the good is grace, and grace in you is Christ in you. It's living knowledge that you receive through dakizomai, testing over time. You know, that's not like knowledge you get out of a book. That's knowledge you get from walking through this world. It's knowledge in your blood, knowledge in your bones. It's Jesus in you that draws you back to the tree and causes you to say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. On the tree in the garden, God revealed the eternal judgment that unites all humanity and even all creation. It's a, it's a decision that will one day fill all of space and time, according to Scripture, for he will be all in all. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. But even now, we can begin to experience the life of the age to come as his body rises in us and as us, his temple, the body of Christ. So it is not that some are consigned to disobedience and others receive mercy because they acknowledge that once upon a time Christ sacrificed. It's not that some are consigned to disobedience and others receive mercy. It's that all are consigned to disobedience. So that all would receive and could receive mercy. So that all would bleed mercy with Christ, in Christ, and so become the body of Christ. And so until you present yourself a sacrifice, you have no part in Christ. And yet, Christ is entombed in you in space and time. Jesus trapped in Mises, your ego. And that's why Paul is preaching the word. Don't be conformed to this age. Everybody's exalting themselves. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so present your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, pleasing to God, which is your logical worship. In the words of Jesus, pick up a cross and and follow. I get literally nauseous when I think about this. But conformed to this age and longing to draw a crowd, the church has actually found a way to preach Jesus was sacrificed so you don't have to sacrifice. 
Jesus was crucified. So you don't have to be crucified. Jesus was punished. So your business would be a success. And so you could name it and claim it, a boat, a house, a sports car, maybe even a big ego, that you're a winner, looking down on all those losers. In Luke 14, Jesus turns around and he sees great crowds following him, and this is what he says, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And for those of us living in 21st century America where crucifixion is illegal, those of us who may not get the picture, he continues, verse 33. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And he's already made it clear that all we have is not only boats, houses, and sports cars. Verse 26, father, mother, children, and yes, even one's own life. <laughs> in Greek, psyche. It's our very perception of reality. It's your soul. Sometimes people say, okay, fine, I get it, Peter. God can sign all to disobedience, they may have mercy on all, for from him, through him, and to him are all things, but what is that for me? Well, if you get it, it is presenting your body a sacrifice. Living holy, pleasing to God, that's your logical worship. For the rest of Romans, Paul will be telling us how that may look, but however it does look, it will be carrying a cross on your back because you want to. Because you freely choose to. Sometimes people say, okay, fine, I get it. God can send all disobedience and may have mercy on all for from and through him to him are all things, but what do I have to do now? Well, I think everything you thought you should have done before. In other words, stay married. Don't serve idols. Tell the truth. Don't commit adultery. Never covet your neighbor's life or your neighbor's wife. Feed the poor. Build hospitals. Evangelize the world. But only with the cross on your back. For otherwise you are a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal and a lie. Now this may sound like bad news to you. But old Rabbi Saul, he thinks this is the very best of news. He writes, by the compassions of God, I plead with you. I call to you because I feel sorry for you. Because God feels sorry for you. Present your bodies a sacrifice, living holy and pleasing to God. So what does Paul see that most of the time Peter Hyatt just does not see? For starters, I think he sees that sacrifice is like a door. In other words, it's not payment. You gotta get that out of your head. It's not payment, but it is a door. A door to love, life, freedom, power, and ecstatic, outrageous joy. It's like a door, but the door is in your mind. And once you pass through that door, sacrifice goes by another name. John writes, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Now that's his life. That's his heart. That's his psyche. Sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is sacrifice. Sin is not loving. 
Love is sacrifice. It's, it's willing to will what another person is, is willing. Love is sacrifice, and true sacrifice is love. People ask, what do I do? And listen closely. I bet you do it rather often. Jesus said, whoever gives a cup of water, you ever given a cup of water to someone? She says, whoever gives a cup of water to a child, well, because he follows me, he will not lose his, own, his reward. And, and you see, love is its own reward. On judgment day, you'll say, I don't remember giving you a cup of water. And, and Jesus will say something like, exactly, you weren't trying to be good. You just were good. You lost your psyche, and look, you found it in me. And, and other people may say, I built churches in your name, started food banks in your name, and Jesus will say, who are you? It, it, it appears to me that you think that you are your own creation, and so you have hidden my creation, and so you must sacrifice your old self in order to liberate your true self, but until you're ready, you may remain, remain alone in darkness, weeping and tashing your teeth, until you're ready to sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sounds like a curse. But you know, from God, even a curse is the greatest blessing. Sacrifice is love, and love is sacrifice, and you know this. You do. 41 years ago, just about this time of year, I was driving my 67 Mustang through downtown Denver, just blasting REO Speedwagon through the back speakers of my Mustang as loud as I could as I was screaming, don't let her go. I was meeting my my mom at Harry's Jewelers on 16th Street because I needed support. I was fixing to ask the girl that I've been dating for four years to marry me. It terrified me. But the opposite even terrified me more, the alternative. I remember Harry showed us a bunch of stones. He described the options, and, and then after time, he would tell us the cost. At, at one point, I remember, I fantasized about just jumping the counter, grabbing Harry by the collar, and just yelling, look, Harry, I don't, I don't give a turd about the rock, the, the stone, the, the, the diamond. Just tell me how much it's going to cost. It, all that matters is I need the rock that's going to cost everything I've got, all my money, all my student loan money. Harriet needs to cost everything I've got because I want to give everything I've got because I've got this girl that wants to give me all that she's got, including her very soul. And you see, that's just what happened. I gave all I got. I still give all I get. I mean, my paycheck literally goes directly to Susan. I have never ever sacrificed as much for anyone in the entire world as I have sacrificed for that woman. On May 28, 1983, I was literally stripped naked and my body was offered to her as she offered her body to me. And I liked it. I still do. I actually find it to be a rather easy yoke. <laughs> Since then, I have literally lost my psyche. Peter Hyatt, Peter Hyatt, Peter Hyatt, what's Peter Hyatt thinking, what's Peter Hyatt doing? And, 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 and I've found it, Susan and Peter Hyatt, Peter and Susan Hyatt, what are we thinking, what are we doing? Sometimes it's been incredibly painful. 
and I, and I have, have had it easy, but, but I never thought of it as a sacrifice until I began to preach on love and ask, what is love? And then I realized, and this is love, the sacrifice. And this sacrifice is love. Imagine if Jesus said to me, hey, Peter, I need to talk to you. I made you male and female as a sign to teach you of sacrificial communion and a covenant of love. Peter, what if I could, what if you, what if you could feel the joy that you felt in sacrificing for Susan and sacrificing for Susan? What, what if you could feel that in sacrificing for me? And then you began to realize that I was in every person you would ever meet. You know, Jesus is our groom. And we are his bride. And Paul taught us that Jesus, the word, is somehow in or even imprisoned in everyone you meet. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. If I actually believe that, I might actually give a cup of water to a child and think nothing of it. Because I just enjoyed doing it. Sacrifice is love, and love is life. Sometime just before Christmas, 1987, I sacrificed my body to Susan, and Susan sacrificed her body to me. She got pregnant with another life. We named him Jonathan. In this age, the sixth day of creation, we've been taught that life is the survival of the fittest. But it wasn't Charles Darwin that taught us that. It was a snake in a garden. And biologists, I love biology, I like Charles Darwin too. I mean, they, they'll tell you life is, is not the survival of the fittest. Life is literally the sacrifice of the fittest. It's one molecule surrendered to another molecule and nobody can figure out why that molecule would do that. It's one cell freely sacrificing its autonomy to another cell. It's one member literally bleeding into another member in a body. It's the logic of God revealed on the tree in the garden. It's Jesus. The survival of the fittest explains death and why creation is literally eating itself. But the sacrifice of the fittest, when the first chooses to be last, when the exalted choose to be humbled, when, when my fingers serve my hand and my hand serves my fingers, well, that's life. And what if I'm a member of an even greater life than just me? Sacrifice is love, love is life, and life is freedom. And now this may be a bit counterintuitive, but no one is as free as the man who has picked up his cross. A man carrying a cross is not bound by the past. It's already been judged. He's not planning for the future. All he has is now. And yet now is the point where eternity touches time. Sacrifice is love. Love is life. Life is freedom. Freedom is power. A man carrying a cross has surrendered all power. And yet, it was a man carrying a cross that conquered the Roman Empire. It was an admirer of that man carrying a different type of cross that conquered the British Empire. 
Mahatma Gandhi claimed to have loved Christ but didn't want to be called a Christian for Christians look so little like Christ, but he looked like Christ. History doesn't like to document this, but I have personally witnessed this. It, it isn't foreign policy, U.S. military that topples dictators like Nikolai Ceausescu in communist Romania. In Romania, it was literally men and women singing Christmas carols around the home of a pastor who had picked up a cross. Men and women, some of whom I, I met, men and women singing Christmas carols and refusing to stop even though the police had opened fire and were piling the bodies in the central square of Timisoara. <laughs> what I'm saying is sacrifice changes the world. Not because it topples principalities and powers, because in this age there will always be more principalities and powers, just another one replaces the old one. The sacrifice of love changes this age because it is the very presence of the age to come. It's the kingdom of God. It's where the first are last, and the last are first. Where the humble are exalted, and the exalted, they rejoice in being humbled. It's, it's when and where everything is from him, through him, and to him, and him is love. When you just testify to that kingdom with your actions or even more with your words, you go to war on the principalities and powers of this present darkness. Recently, I was talking to a friend here and she said, Peter, I don't understand it. I'm sharing this wonderful news with my old Christian friends and they, they just get furious. Why is that? I said, well, I've thought about this a long time. I think it's because you are crucifying their idol, their God, their ego. If I truly, if we truly preach Jesus, which means God is salvation, we will be crucifying Mises. The belief that we are our own salvation. We'll be crucifying our own ego and the egos of those around us. So of course Jesus said, listen up disciples. You will be kicked out of the synagogues. That's what they used to call churches back in that day. And you will be hated by all men. For my name's sake. My name is God is salvation. Jesus. I can't tell you the number of influential Christians that have confided in me that they think, well, they're beginning to believe that what Scripture is saying is that God has consigned all the disobedience in order that he may have mercy on all, for from him to him and through him are all things, but they won't say it very loud. And they won't say it very clearly or very publicly because they know They'll be sacrificed. And I have been one of them. Still am. Years ago, I only said what I said, I think, because God literally pushed me to it. But you say it. You say it. Just by attending the sanctuary. Just by forwarding a link on the internet. Just by telling your, your friends. You say it, and I have come to consider you 
a miracle. And it is a miracle when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up a cross. You're a miracle, and I, I'm praying that you're going to say it louder and louder, no matter how much they threaten, call you a heretic, or even start pounding the nails. You know, there was a time when most of the church believed God consigned all the disobedience, they may have mercy on all, and so every knee would bow and every tongue would give praise. But that was also the time when they not only carried crosses, but the principalities and powers would routinely pound the nails. And that was the time from about zero to 400 A.D. that the church changed the world. But of course it was the spirit in the church, the spirit of Jesus that changed the world. For on the tree he surrendered his spirit, he breathed out his breath, his life, and lo and behold, God just breathed it back into him. And he rose from the dead. That's power. It would be so wrong of us to think that God has stopped breathing into the broken body of Christ. He breathes into us. He breathes with us. And we breathe his spirit into each other. Faith is breathing. It's losing your life and finding it. Jesus said, whoever believes or faiths, the word is from pistis, whoever faiths in me, in me, and we are in him, right, his body, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Sacrifice that's dead and yet living. See, eternal life is constant sacrifice. And the moment you surrender life is the moment you receive the life. It's an infinite river of eternal life. And once you know that, this world loses its grip on you. And you become a real danger to this world, the principalities and powers, the world rulers of this present darkness. And check this out, you can begin to party. You can begin to party even here and now once you know that. In your bones, in your blood. In Luke 14, Jesus says to the great crowds that follow him, Whoever does not bear his cross and follow cannot learn from me. Renounce all that you have. Immediately followed, Luke 15, he tells the story of a wealthy father with two sons who have all that their father has. But the sons ask that he divide all that he has, that is their inheritance, wish you were de dead, dad, I want your stuff, divides it between them. The younger son, you know, journeys into the far country, squanders all that he has, and this father lets him. Father's obviously powerful, and he lets him. If you don't renounce all that you have, God will arrange for you to lose all that you have anyway. That's what happens in the far country. Dang, that's what's happening to each one of us right now. I mean, just look at us, right? We each seek to save our life, but each of us is losing it. We're dying. Well, when the prodigal returns to the father, who runs out on the road to meet him, he says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And suddenly, he becomes worthy. The father gives him all he has, a, a ring, which is probably a signet ring, a robe, a robe of righteousness, shoes, which many go wherever we go. He says, kill the fatted calf because we're going to party because this, my son, was dead, but now he's alive again. 
The older brother resents the younger brother, so leaves the party, weeps and gnashes his teeth in outer darkness. At that, the father leaves the party too to join his resentful son in the outer darkness where the boy complains to him, Dad, you never gave me a thing. And the father says this to him, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Do the math on that one. <laughs> the father gives all that he has on three separate occasions to two different people as if all that he has is limitless. <laughs> and it is limitless. We think life is like this delicate little thing that we have to keep safe and bottled up inside of each one of us. When, in fact, beyond this age and the age to come, which is the age that actually is, there is nothing but infinite and eternal life. And so what is it that keeps the sons from enjoying and joining their father's party? <laughs> well, you know, I know. It's what keeps each one of us from enjoying any and every party. We're each worried about ourselves. And so won't surrender our ego. We're each constantly trying to save ourselves. And so cannot be saved. But that's why we come to our worship service each week. To sacrifice Mises. And liberate Jesus to live his life in us, through us, as us. I mean all of us, it's a party. So sacrifice is love, love is life, life is freedom, freedom is power, it's power to party in the kingdom of God. Therefore, present your bodies a sacrifice, living, pleasing, holy to God. For on the night that he was betrayed, but all of us, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the covenant in my blood. Poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. I'm going to say it again. When one person says, in a world that does not sacrifice. It looks like a man broken and bleeding and nailed to a tree. And that's also how it feels. When two people sacrifice in a world that does not sacrifice, it looks like a marriage bound by a covenant and to those people in the marriage, sometimes it feels like, <laughs> oh, just the greatest honeymoon. And when everyone sacrifices and no one refuses to sacrifice, oh, that's the very presence of the age to come. That's the kingdom of God. And that's our home. Communion in church in modern America drives me a little bit nuts. I think it's because so often we come to the table in such sorrow, right? As if to say, God, I'm such a schmuck. God, I cannot 
pay. And so, yeah, you paid. And I'll try to pay, but I can't pay, so I'll pay by just feeling really, really, really bad. I think sometimes God in Christ Jesus just wants to grab us and smack us and say, stop it. I pay for everything. Glad you finally noticed. But don't you see what I'm trying to do now? I'm teaching you to party. <laughs> From one side of the table, you see body broken, bloodshed, hanging on a tree. But on the other side, we see the king on the throne and a party that will never, ever, ever stop. And now if you say, well, Peter, I don't know if I'm, because you know, life is hard. Some of you are bearing things that I can't even imagine. So maybe you say to yourself, Peter, I don't know. I just really don't know if I can bear my cross. I don't know if I'm strong enough to bear my cross. Well, good news. That's why Jesus came. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. He came to bear the cross with you and in you and as you, and that makes the burden light. So come to the table if you want to lose your life and find it. <laughs> Amen. talk about this next week but my wife is weird she's different than me so she just whispered into my ear she said hey Peter I just saw um, Jesus standing at the foot of the cross like this and he said welcome home <laughs> so therefore present your bodies a sacrifice living holy perfected, which is your logical worship. Now, if you'd like prayer, uh, Tez can be down front. He would love to pray with you. Uh, if you would, I'd, lo I'd love it if you signed up for the Discovery uh, Retreat. I'm excited about that in two weeks in Mago Christi. Uh, don't do it for me, though do it for Jesus because this is one last thing I have to mention before you go let me just remind you 
don't sacrifice to people. Always sacrifice to God who is hidden in people. In other words, serve your worship to God in every temple, whether it's lovely or wretched. In other words, be enslaved to no one and love everyone. In Jesus' name, amen.